Now's a good time to remember where the story of tequila started. In 1795, the first tequila distillery was opened by the Cuervo family. And 229 years later, Cuervo is still going strong. Family owned from the start. Same family, same land. Now's a good time to enjoy Cuervo, the tequila that invented tequila. Go to Cuervo.com to shop tequila or visit a store near you. Cuervo, now's a good time. Trademarks owned by Beckless AB to CV 2024, Proximo, Jersey City, New Jersey. Please drink responsibly. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. San Antonio District Judge resigns after a federal corruption probe. A former San Antonio, Texas judge goes to federal prison after pleading guilty to accepting bribes in exchange for rigging cases in his court. Angus McGinty committed the ultimate judicial sin. Why did you do it? I did it because I was foolish. Listen to How to Bribe a Judge on RevolverPodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. The John Anik and Kenny Florian Podcast. John Anik and Kenny Florian. I fucking love them. I can't get enough of them. Let's hear that boss next. Big jab there from Duffy and Brett Mir is hurt now. Oh, down goes Duffy O'Connor. Brett Mir does it again. Rock'em, sock'em, robots here. Oh, my goodness. I They're a couple of absolutely self-involved bullshit artists. Here are your hosts, John Anik and Kenny Florian. I'm not sure I have looked forward to an episode of the Anakin Florian podcast as much as this one. Maybe some close. Not many on this level. It's Monday, October 26, 2020, episode 273 of the Anakin Florian podcast. I've already lived my Monday. I just did 34 hours door to door, 24 of which were spent in the air. So uh, that's your off-the-top apology, Ken Flo. My head's spinning, dizzy a little bit, but it's damn good to see your face. You are back on the East Coast. TBD on his final stop for everybody asking me this weekend where Ken Flo is moving. Ken Flo's keeping things close to the vest. It's great to see you. Your internet seems to be working. Thank you, sir. The Batman doesn't reveal his his identity, nor right. does he ideal, uh, you know, identify where he's going to live. So come on, guys. Exactly. Uh, no, dude, it's it's great to be talking to you. Um, I, I'm excited to talk about this amazing card that went down this weekend, um, and uh, I'm glad you're back safely, dude. I appreciate that. Uh, it was a long journey. Fight Island is a paradise in a lot of respects. It's weird, sort of going back to a climate when you're you, you when you leave the bubble. You know, exactly. you leave the bubble. We probably don't use the word bubble on the air enough, right? The NBA, it's all about the bubble. For us, it's Fight Island. But it is interesting when you go back to McCarran Airport, you know, feels like a cesspool compared to Fight Island. Uh, and I like when you call yourself Batman, because rest assured, I, I am Robin in this equation for sure. So we have a ton to get to today. A ton to get to today as we begin headlines with, of course, Khabib Nurmagomedov. We'll spend some time on who uh, might fight for the vacant lightweight title, but we certainly want to give Khabib as much time as, as humanly possible off the top of the program today. 
He uh, he makes the third successful defense of his title, his final professional fight at 29 and 0. Uh, Ken Flo, if his mother had it her way, he wouldn't have even fought Justin Gaethje. But Khabib, I think professionally, legacy wise, wanted to close this chapter. And uh, these last two wins, you know, he's beaten guys who have belts, right? Interim champions and just making it look easy. Uh, this is the best division in MMA, according to you and me. And uh, this is certainly the greatest lightweight of all time. And he couldn't have put a better capstone on uh, his soon-to-be Hall of Fame career. He, he really is a great study for a lot of the professional fighters out there who want to kind of uh, mimic that trajectory and that way of, of being a champion and kind of uh, having that aura about him. I think he he really went about it the right way. He got himself a bunch of experience before he went to the UFC. He slowly worked his way up, um, fought everybody there was to fight, gained a ton of experience, um, you know, consistently would get better and improve himself. Uh, and then when he had that opportunity to position himself as a championship contender, um, all he did was get better and shine and shine. And and that that is just you know, the best way to sum up Habib Nurmagomedov, the guy is uh, a phenom. Uh, it's been amazing to see what he's done. We called his first fight in the UFC against yeah. Kamal Shalarus. And um, man, what a, what a ride. What a pleasure it was to see that guy's whole career in the UFC. So your commentary debut was actually UFC 83, correct? Yes, yes, exactly. Which was uh, a long time ago. But then our, when we called fights for the first time together, January 20th, 2012, Nashville, Tennessee, right? Mm -hmm. Got the pep talk from, from Dana and Craig Borsari before the fights. And uh, that was the night he made his UFC debut. And here yes. he is almost nine years later. Still perfect in the UFC. There are a lot of wrinkles to this fight, and I think there's probably nobody better to break down a lot of components to it. Uh, but it was not competitive. Uh, Khabib's stand-up, I guess I would like to start with Ken Flo, because what do people think he was doing, right? I'm not sitting here telling you that he can go out and beat the division's best striker in a kickboxing match, sure. you know, Conor McGregor, for example. But Ken Flo, like Javier Mendez two years ago was like, dude, you should fucking see him southpaw, right? I mean yeah. – He's got weapons on the feet, and maybe they're a means to an end, and maybe without the threat threat of a takedown, right, if he wasn't allowed to do that in a different sport, then who knows? But I just feel like uh, he's certainly able to use that to get wherever the hell he needs to go. I mean, he literally wanted to go in there and make that as quick as possible, and it was destructively quick. Listen, um, I, I think still waters run deep, uh, and Habib Nurmagomedov is one of those guys who um, – we probably didn't even see all the tools that he's had in his game that he's had in his arsenal. I guarantee it. Um, you could only get by maybe one of his layers. Uh, and by that time he was figuring you out and beating you up and, uh, winning the fight. So I think that he made a lot of things look very easy. Uh, unfortunately for Justin Gaethje, he did that yet again in a championship fight against a guy in Gaethje, who I think a lot of us thought, Hey, this could be the fight. This might be the dude who could uh, beat Nurmagomedov. It, it was just not to be. Habib, just too damn good. You know, Gaethje was so worried. He was so worried about the takedown. Um, and he was so worried about his hand position of where he was in relation to Habib that he wasn't able to just fire off his offense. You know, I think when you're so concerned with that other guy, how can you possibly be in the moment enough to do what you're supposed to be doing? And it happens against a lot of great fighters. It's happened to me, you know, where you kind of become too reactive um, and you're playing so much of what that other person is doing that you don't allow yourself to actually fight your fight. 
Right. Um, I think that's what Gaethje got locked into. It's a testament to Habib and the threat that he possessed and the pressure he was giving him. But still, I think, um, you know, that's why Habib was having success on the feet. Uh, Gaethje just wasn't letting those hands go. He didn't know what to do. And he was so damn tired from moving the whole time. Yes, he was. That he could not maintain that pace. Right. And for Habib, it was basically you, you might as well have, you know, started stabbing yourself and letting the letting the other guy know. Right. I, I'm going to be done soon. And so even though Gaethje told me that the strategy, his fight was to to take out the leg. And he felt like he was sort of effective in doing that in a lot of respects, or at least was working his way towards being effective in doing that. But he definitely didn't manage the cardio well and, and admittedly so, and obviously went back to the corner without a lot of an answers. Trevor Whitman tried to sort of calm him down as best he could. Um, you know, Habib was limping a little bit at the hotel, but, uh, Khabib Nurmagomedov is, is maybe the toughest fighter in UFC history. Uh, I couldn't believe how, how relaxed he was. Like before the fight, he's coming over to, to DC and smiling and then Buffer's doing his thing and he's sort of lip syncing with Buff like, and now. So Khabib is the total package. Uh, you're not going to hear much of the greatest of all time conversation here. If you want to anoint him the number one pound for pound fighter in the world right now, I certainly think he is that, right? With respect to John Jones, to dominate this way, uh, to not have any cut ever, to never have been taken down, or I don't even believe knocked down. Maybe he was knocked down, but I don't think any of these things happen. And somebody else pointed out on social media, I don't even think Habib committed a foul in his entire UFC career. So uh, I won't argue if you want to say he's the greatest of all time. We're not going to go deep on that conversation. I'd rather get Kem Flo uh, a little bit deeper into the actual fight itself uh, because of the magnitude of the fight. Um, but for Khabib, Ken Flo, this is just an incredible, incredible win. And technically speaking on the ground, can you just talk us to the submission? And, uh, you know, uh, the referee, Jason Herzog, kind of feels like with the tap, you you sort of have to really tap. So that's why he let it go a little bit. Uh, talk me through a little jujitsu, if you'd be so kind. Absolutely. You know, number one, Justin Gaethje wasn't able to get back to his feet because of where um, Habib's head position was. It was essentially, um, you know, underneath his neck or underneath his chin, where Gaethje just didn't have the opportunity to get up to his feet when he needed to. Now, so because um, Habib was in a uh, all right, so we're losing Ken Flo's internet. If you wonder Not why I'm... Yep, go ahead. You there? Yes. All right, so if people are wondering why, like a moment ago, I talked for a really fucking long time, if you didn't hear enough of me on Saturday, it's because Ken Flo's internet down there uh, in the <laughs> southeastern part of the United States, we won't even reveal the state for you folks today. I'm sorry about that. <laughs> um, but Ken Flo, talk me through this submission, right? And Gaethje's inability from a wrestling defense or a jujitsu defense standpoint to uh, to do anything and, and Khabib's finish, if you would. You got it, man. Um, yeah. So, you know, for Habib, his, his head was in the right position. It was right on Gaethje's chest. Uh, so Gaethje didn't even have the opportunity to scramble back to his feet. Uh, and then from there, he went right into the mount, um, slid his, uh, his knees up, which a lot of people kind of call an S mount position, uh, where he's really high on the chest. Uh, and from there, he kind of Force his knee right over the arm of Gaethje, essentially uh, forcing a triangle position or a triangle choke. Um, and once he had his legs wrapped around the neck, it looked like he was about to kind of go back for an arm lock. He decided to kind of go into a triangle um, and then went went to his back. From there, it was so tight. He had such a good angle. He had such a good bite with his shin underneath his own knee uh, where that wedge was just way too tight. 
Um, and, and I heard what DC said about, um, you know, him obviously uh, wanting to go for a choke instead of an arm lock so he wouldn't hurt hurt him in front of his parents. Right. Uh, but I think more than anything else, anytime you're going to face an individual who is extremely tough, who will allow their arm to break someone like a Justin right, Gaethje, right. someone like a Tony Ferguson. You don't go for a joint break. You always go for the choke. It does not matter how tough you are, what kind of your resistance you have. If the blood is, is being prevented from going to your brain, you will go to sleep. You take the toughness factor completely out of it. So brilliant right, right. stuff from Habib. Right. And you just don't see a triangle from the mount every day, John. Right. That is right. high level grappling. Habib, uh, what a way to go out, man. What, what a G. And I actually like the way Jason Herzog handled that. Again, I'm not yeah. your foremost authority on that, but I do believe with a submission, right, Ken Flo? It's like sometimes it's hard with a little phantom tap or whatever, uh, and there are no concussions going on. This is the gentle art, folks, right? Didn't feel Absolutely. gentle for me, by the way. Can sure. I just say, like the brown belt uh, at American Top Team, West Palm Beach. Right. It didn't feel gentle. Anyway, <laughs> I will say this, though. You're, you're absolutely right about that, though, dude. I mean, I think about, you know, uh, the, the, the Ferguson fight against Gaethje and how many shots he took and how long it takes or, and the kind of damage you do to the brain when you knock someone out with your fist, when you overload the system, yeah, right. when they strike to the brain. It is right. totally different right. than stopping the blood flow to the brain. Right. It's a way it, it really is a, a way right. more gentle way of, right. of winning a fight. So very, very precise stuff from Habib. I've been knocked out cold, hitting my head on concrete, for example, right? Yeah. That's uh, right. And thankfully for Justin Gaethje, he can go play golf like tomorrow because his arm is not broken, which is yes. really great. So I said uh, while you were gone a moment ago that you're not going to hear a lot of greatest of all time conversation today. I'm okay if Khabib is now the number one pound for pound fighter in the world. I certainly think right. he is that given the dominating nature of his wins compared to Jones's recent history. John sure. Jones was the pound for pound king for a decade, right? I do believe as it stands here. Late October 2020, Khabib is the number one pound-for-pound pound fighter in the world. Um, but Joe Rogan, Dana White, Sean Shelby, others have suggested that this makes Khabib the greatest of all time. And when you set it up in the context of never committed a foul, never been knocked down, taken down, cut, any of this, right? I know he only has three title defenses. So for me, there are some parts of his argument against longer reigning champions like John Jones and GSP that really don't hold up. Um, right. He, he's probably the most dominant fighter in UFC history and certainly the greatest fighter in the best division. See, you're brilliant. So you, 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 you not. put, you, you put together this whole thing and you're like, I don't want to talk about it, but you set me up where I actually have to Go talk ahead. about it now, you know? Uh, so well done, John. Uh, you know, listen, I, I think, I think it's, it is complicated. It's always a difficult thing. We always have to be really careful when we're trying to, uh, give this greatest of all time talk, you know, and you're coming off an amazing win. It's like, Hey, you could be very biased and go that direction. Habib absolutely is in the discussion. There's no doubt about it. One thing I think we can all agree on is that he is the greatest UFC lightweight champion yeah. of all yeah. time. And currently I do have him at, at, at the best pound for pound uh, as the best pound for pound guy right now. Um, the greatest of all time, I think is a different uh, question. Because what are we looking at? Are we looking at consistency? Okay, he's got that. Are we looking at amount of um, world championship defenses? He doesn't have that amount. He doesn't have the greatest. So you have Demetrius Johnson. You have John Jones. Yeah, are we right. talking about um, the way in which he won? Did he show a variety of skill? Was he knocking uh, a third of his opponents out, submitting a third of his opponents and winning right. You know, by decision? So there's so many different ways where you can kind of approach it and look at that. Habib is absolutely in the conversation. The guy is 
one of the most amazing fighters that I've ever seen in that you knew exactly what he was going to do. You knew exactly how he was going to do it. And there wasn't a damn thing you could do about it to stop him. I'm just so in awe of that man and all the tributes pouring in. And he's ingesting a lot of these, right? Like a lot, a lot of these things he's reposting and he's watching during fight week. And uh, the emotional outpour, I think, was not surprising to people. You know, I think 99.9% of that's probably for his father. And then maybe the 0.1% because he knows he doesn't have to cut down to 155 pounds again. And he knows he's going to retire undefeated because, right. you know, if that guy tells you he's leaving MMA, you know, he the, the ultimate thing, though, with him that would bring him back his competition. And that could be just cornering fighters, which he has, you know, he can turn, he can just corner Islam, Akashev and many others. And I'm sure he can produce legions of UFC champions. So absolutely. And how, how old is he right now, John? I believe 32, 1988. I do it by birthdays okay. because it okay. just makes so me he's feel young. better. He's young. And I think you make it, you bring up a great point. Okay. So he starts cornering the rest of his fighters. He's retired. A year passes, two years has passed. And he starts to kind of heal maybe from, you know, everything that he's experienced and, you know, kind of is in a different place mentally, spiritually, maybe from the death of his father and maybe decides to come back in a super fight against GSP. I don't know. I, again, I don't GSP, see MMA going to be like, I really yeah. don't see MMA and Cody okay. cut this soundbite. Right. Because, and by the way, my, tw my, my, my 209 tattoo uh, now has a multiple meaning because it can also be 29 and 0. Um, but I don't see MMA for Khabib Nurmagomedov. I really don't. There is absolutely nothing left to prove. He wouldn't return for money, but he said the reason he went to fight Island was because of the magnitude of the Justin Gaethje fight and what that competitively meant to him. And so I do think he can scratch a lot of that itch by cornering UFC fighters. And Lord knows there are plenty of fighters from Dagestan and, and other parts where Khabib will be uh, that he can churn out fighters. But I don't know exactly what he wants to do. I think maybe in a in a boxing setting, you could argue for like a Pacquiao fight, there would be some appeal to exclusively show off his stand up. But if it's against his mother's wishes for him to be uh, in a combat sports setting without Abdulmanop, I'm, I'm not sure. I mean, didn't that feel final to you, Cody Mero, as we wait? Oh, there's hey, Ken Flo. Oh, I mean, Cody really actually looks good today, too. You know, what's I mean, up, guys? I'm so I'm pissed. calling himself. Hand I'm calling you handsome today, Cody. I'm calling you handsome today. Ken Flo. What's up, dude? We can, I can't see you, but I can hear you again. So that's yes. good. Yes. So that's good. Let me get you on video here. I'm going to switch to my phone. Switch you to your phone. Can... Yeah. There we go. There we go. So I was just asking Cody if this felt final, Cody. I mean, did, does this feel final to you uh, from Habib, at least on the MMA side? Because it certainly did to me. Absolutely. I think we know Khabib is a principled man. He's a man of his word. He has been saying repeatedly that you know, what is next for him? There isn't anything. The plan that everyone always said was 30, you know, that was never something that came out of Khabib's mouth. We always kind of knew that perfection was really what was the goal for him. And I mean, how do you end a career better than that with arguably the most dominant submission that you could possibly pull? And, you know, as Kenny alluded to, it's not just something that you throw up there if you're not confident. I mean, there's a lot of risk that comes with the mountain triangle. And obviously he didn't feel much risk at all. And, you know, if he doesn't feel the challenge of competition, then he doesn't feel the challenge. And, you know, maybe coaching and something like that will bring him back. I think it's more about his mom. I really do. I mean, like Kenny, the Pacquiao fight could come around and then he would have a chance to test his stand up in front of the world. And I think competitively, he would absolutely love to do that, right? To test himself in a boxing setting. But I don't think he wants to betray his mother's wishes. And if she doesn't want him in a yeah. combat sports setting without Abdul Manap, then I don't think it's going to happen.
I would say that's obviously going to be a huge thing. There's no doubt that's going to be a deciding factor. Uh, but I will, I will also say, you know, Cody, I think a lot of people were talking about that too, because uh, it was originally his father who put that out there with the 30 and L thing. So maybe he goes back and say, Hey, maybe is that what I was supposed to do? Go out and do the, who knows? You know, yeah. there's a lot of emotions that's going fair. on right now. Either way, uh, the guy absolutely deserves to retire and, uh, you know, enjoy his life uh, with his family and, and friends. And he's had an amazing career. Certainly was pretty urgent in getting those those gloves off after the fact. And, uh, you know, I, I was caught off guard by it. I mean, we didn't expect that that was going to happen. But then the whole narrative changes right of that post fight interview in a moment. And, uh, you know, it's uh, it's an incredible, incredible legacy. I'm just so in awe of his presence. You know, he's just an unbelievable fighter and human being and uh, so thoughtful. Uh, just the way he deals with like his opponent's corners after the fight. Uh, he's just the ultimate sportsman. And uh, I don't know what it is. I mean, put him on the cover of Sports Illustrated. I, I know he has a huge fan base, but I just hope the United States of America will appreciate what they have here. And I think increasingly he does have that U.S. appreciation now, you know. And, and John, he is our only undefeated UFC world champion. Is that Yes, I mean Kamaru Usman is twelve and zero or thirteen and zero in the UFC, but he that has is, lost yeah, a pro that fight. Is retired, undefeated. Right. So there you go. Okay. And it is amazing with John Jones, right? Because I don't know, there are times where I actually thought that the, the Tiago Santos fight was closer than the Dominic Reyes fight was for John Jones, but he does have those two fights, right? And again, he's got fifteen straight championship fights, right? which is why Johnny Bones is still number one for me, uh, because I do include guys who have had transgressions. If you want me to come up with a transgression-free list, Habib is number one, okay? Had a lot of fucking time in 34 hours to digest all of this and figure it out, because everybody's got an agenda. Speaking of which, and uh, we will get to Longo in a couple minutes, but I'm sure uh, he's not quite ready, so you can tell him uh, maybe 7.15. So, <clears throat> excuse me, in terms of who is going to fight for this vacant lightweight title, more love on Habib, obviously, from Ray. We pared it down to six names. I say that with respect to Dan Hooker and Paul Felder, right? I think you can make a case against almost all of these guys. You can make a case for all of these guys. The names are Dustin Poirier, Conor McGregor, Justin Gaethje, Tony Ferguson, Charles Oliveira, and Michael Chandler. One of you guys better fucking text me if I left a name out because people are upset and I love the passion and I love all of it. So uh, we're going to talk about that a little bit and we will get to the poll results, but... Uh, all I know is 2020 has been a little bit nuts. Does not mean you should disregard taking care of yours. Manscaped is on a mission, folks, to take care of your manhood with their below-the-waist grooming and hygiene products. We have good news, by the way. International listeners, viewers, they have now released their products in the U.K., Canada, and Australia. And you need a lawnmower. I don't want to cuss in this spot, but, like, you need a lawnmower 3.0 in your life. Manscaped has changed the way I go about my hygiene. No longer using the same trimmer on my face as I use down there. I got this lawnmower 3.0 waterproof technology. You can use it in the shower. Manscaped has also just released the crop care kit to go with it. Includes all sorts of products. Ball wipes. Always got to be prepared. Foot deodorant, body wash in that bundle as well. These formulations, all vegan. I know a lot of people in the MMA space are big into this stuff. Rightfully so. Cruelty-free, dye-free, sulfate-free, and paraben-free. You're in good hands with Manscaped. And if you're not there yet, we're going to help you get there. Get 20% off and free shipping at manscaped.com slash AF. No promo code required. No hashtag KenFlow. Just go to manscaped.com slash AF for 20% off and free shipping. Manscaped.com slash AF. All right, let's get to the star of the show. My man. Drop the drop and pop the pop. Let's go. 
It's now time for the Ray Longo Minute. I want you to punch a hole in this fucking chest. That's what I want. The Ray Longo Minute. John Anik and Kenny Florian podcast. Well, I don't go to therapy. I go to Ray Longo and I'm going to call you tomorrow. I'm not even kidding. We're going to do the Ray Longo minute right here, but I'm going to call you tomorrow. I'm just happy to see your face. I appreciate the text while I was on the air. I didn't get great service in Abu Dhabi. So I got that 30 to 27 text when I landed back in the States. So that's why I didn't write you back. I'd love to know. I really would have loved to know what round they gave uh, Cannoneer in that. I really would. I thought I, that was pretty that? clear. I thought the that was the clear cut. Weird. You know, like that night. Again, it goes back to I think everybody and everybody's human, but I, I really believe this. It could never be proven, and I might, you know, I'm a conspiracy theory, but I think they go in with who they think is going to win, and then somehow they start to develop a narrative. If they have a little leeway, just a little, because You're I right. guess you could say, hey, the leg kicks were more important than controlling everything else. I mean, but it's just not the case. And the Absolutely. damage was done. Whitaker, I thought, did such a phenomenal job. I mean, I thought that was an easy 30-27 in a, in a nice fight. Both guys came out. I, I thought Cannon- more. Yeah, right. and Cannonier did great, man. He came back at the end after getting dropped. So hats off to him. Great guy. It has nothing to do with anything. But I thought Whitaker controlled that fight from start to finish. And I don't know, leg kicks didn't, as much as they landed, the guy was bouncing around like I never saw him before. He looked like, uh, 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 finally, and I'm happy for the guy because I think he's a great guy. Uh, you know, I think he he pitched the shutout and he, yeah. he got back to form. He looked like he oh. got back to some of Whitaker's form, man, which is great. Yeah, Kenny, I don't know how you score like leg kicks versus jabs, but Whitaker did outstrike Cannoneer by a pretty significant margin in both rounds one and two. And I thought he won the third round as well. I talked to both fighters after the fact, you know, I mean, dude, Cannoneer, man, broke his ulna bone. But with the first kick, you know, right eyes like completely shut orbital. I mean, it's like, man, tough, tough, tough one for uh, the killer gorilla for sure. Kenny, what do you think? Yeah, no, without question. I thought that uh, Whitaker, uh, Won that fight easily, 30-27. I thought he was landing more. I thought the shots that uh, Cannoneer was throwing were kind of missing, especially when when he was throwing with his hands. He did find some success early with his leg-kicking game. Um, But I thought that was a clear win for Whitaker. I thought Whitaker was on point technically. I thought his patience really paid off. His experience paid off. He knew when to win the rounds, how to do it. Uh, I thought he was pretty masterful out there. Yeah, 100% agree. I don't want to spend a lot of time on the scoring. I thought there was a 30 to 27, though. Was it 29-28 across the board? Because that's what Wikipedia is telling me right now. 29-28 across the board? Well, either way, it's neither yeah, here nor there. But, I, uh, it was just a side note. I look, yeah. I thought the Whitaker yeah, man is yeah. a great guy, and I thought he did a great job. And he deserved a 30-27. Uh, that, that was my only point. But hats off to both guys, man. Great fight. And as I told Cannonier after the fact, I don't think he loses a lot of middleweight steam. I mean, for Whitaker, Kenny, right, he's not in any great rush to get back in there because he's having his fourth kid in January and he wants to be around for the holidays and he's missed times with training camps around the birth of his kids. So Lord knows, as I told him why he wants a fourth child, right? But he's having a fourth kid in January. And so he's not in any great rush to fight Adesanya, even though he absolutely, as the number one contender, just earned a title fight as the former undisputed champ. Like, there's no question he's the number one middle contender, middleweight contender. His boss wants to make the fight, but he doesn't seem to have an appetite for it. So, at least right now. Yeah, I, I think Adesanya put the horns on that poor guy by saying, you're getting a shot if you win. I think he screwed him up. I swear to God. I think he screwed him up, the poor guy. He thought yeah. he was, it was an easy win. Adesanya thinks I'm going to win. No, I'm only joking. But, you know what I mean? That stuff. Yeah. 
I don't like those kiss of deaths, Kenny, when before the fight. You know what I mean? It's just yeah, it's yeah, it's, you're right. It's weird. Hey Ray, I want to get to Khabib, sure. but did, yeah. did you remember when Ken Flo fought Clay Guida? Uh, I'm going to say, yeah, why? All right, we'll just go to his Instagram story, uh, if you would, later today, because I remember it as a hugely important fight in his career, but I do not, I knew he bloodied him and battered him and basically knocked him out and choked him out in the same fight. I love Clay. I love his dad, right? I just, oh, but yeah, what this I was, was in Ken Flo's Instagram story today, and I would encourage all my Instagram and Twitter followers to uh, go watch that fight if you haven't. This was not on our show rundown today, Kenny, and don't be, <laughs> don't be uh, humble, but dude, like, he treated Clay like I'd be careful here, which verb I use, you know, but it's just I just go watch that fight. Like if you're if you were born in like the 90s, right, or the 2000s, fucking go Google Kenny Florian versus Clay Guida. That's Listen, my man. That's my Kenny's show. a humble guy, but I always I always told you this guy was great. I mean, uh, at the time he was doing it. Uh, fantastic, man. Footwork was great. He used to come out. I love his costumes coming out. I finished fights. I mean, the guy, he stood yeah. for something. You know what I mean? It's uh, It was crazy. So, yeah, I don't have to look at the fight. I've seen – I remember right. all his fights. Right. You know? right. Again, and the guy that fought Jose Aldo when the guy was Jose Aldo. Hey, man, he did some things. We got a no, 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 Team no, no, Florian. No. I'll say I won't say we for the New England Patriots, but for Team Florian, I'll fucking say we. We got <laughs> off to a good start against Jose Aldo. Yeah. You know, I ripping bong hit somewhere in, in Connecticut thinking we might have a shot here. <laughs> <laughs> just kidding. Just kidding. I didn't do that. But we I was in Connecticut, though, watching the fight. Um, so uh, Khabib Nurmagomedov, man. Right. I mean, yeah. Ken Flo and I were there when he made his UFC debut January 20th, 2012. I'll never forget it. Joe Silva was certainly high on him early. Uh, Josh Gross, my former ESPN colleague, felt like he was going to be a real problem. Maybe people didn't think he'd be the greatest lightweight and, and one or one A in terms of the greatest fighter of all time, at least right now. But uh, what'd you think of Habib over the weekend? Uh, listen, man, I'm going to say that I thought, you know, Gaethje was going to win the fight, you know, based on his ability to scramble back up, totally non-existent in the retrospect. I mean, crazy to, uh, Kenny, you, 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 I just non-existent. I don't even know what to say. I'm not even being critical because I think Gaethje's right. a great fighter, but uh, man, I, I, the guy to me, it a hundred percent is the pound for pound greatest fighter. And I, I'm going to tell you based on a couple of things, but one is, man, anytime you know what a guy's going to do and you can't stop it, that's greatness to me, man. And this is it, like. You know what the game plan had to be. There's no mystery there. I mean, like, he made that look easy. Like, is that a D1 wrestler that just acquiesced to the takedowns, or was Khabib that good? Or, what? you know, what is it? Because I'll tell you what, man, it, like, again, you know what was going to happen, and he still did it. And, again, I think to me – that's the sign of greatness, man. And uh, to, I, I, there is no question after that fight, because this is the first guy, you know, who was a decorated wrestler that we got to see uh, who, who could bomb, you know, who right. can inflict a lot of damage. You know what I mean? And, you know, people could say what they want about Aya Quinta. But the more you look at that fight, you got to remember, he trained for a three round fight, 24 hour notice, did no wrestling for that fight and fought that guy five rounds. I don't care if he if people think he got a beating or not. He wasn't he he, he wasn't close to getting submitted. I don't believe yep. Yep. he. You know, I mean, he was he used a combination of wrestling and jujitsu. And uh, and again, accolade wise, he's not at the level of Gaethje, 
But right. when he combined everything together, he was not going to get submitted in that fight. You know what I mean? And that's a tough SOB. And he went the distance with a guy that now, even after he retires, I got to tell you, is going to hold the test of time. I, I, you know, like again, it just, but I can't say enough about Khabib, man. He's just, uh, I just found, look, man, I, I was in tears when he was, when he was talking and that retirement thing came out of, you know, nowhere, but you know, in a time where, you know, there's fake news and who's lying, who's this guy's lying, this guy's lying. You don't know what to believe. This to me is a breath of fresh air. This is a man yeah. of integrity. You know, this is a man of his word. This is a man that puts family first. Uh, I don't believe uh, the almighty dollar is his God. He makes right Not decisions. At all. Yeah. I just think, look, even the interaction with DC at the end, you know, I love your brother. I mean, I, I don't know if that doesn't make your heart stop. Yeah. Nothing will. You know what I mean? Like in a crazy time that we are black, white, it doesn't matter for me in a brief couple of seconds, man, everything was good in the world. I don't know. I can't say enough about the guy. I think he's a great ambassador. I love the interactions with him in DC. Uh, I think that's a reality show that has to no be. No doubt. Done. No doubt. And, uh, and again, I've told I, DC as much. Yeah, I'm telling you, I love those interactions, man. Yeah. And, uh, you know, like again, just in a crazy time, man, to me, it was a breath of fresh air. And uh, I, this is a guy that is mauling high level people. I mean, this is, this is crazy, man. Yeah. What, so there is. No question in my mind, this guy is, you know, pound for pound, the best fighter. And not that outside of the, the octagon, you know, should be included in that. But you know what? I'm going to include it because he's a champion yeah. inside and outside. You yeah. know, there's no PDs. He's not beating anybody on cocaine. I think this guy stands for the right shit. I don't care religion, creed, color. It doesn't matter. This, to me, was a great moment in sports, to me. Yeah, and I, no doubt. I, can't, I can't say enough good things about the guy and what yeah. he did. And I'm, yeah. I'm glad that one of my guys got to share the octagon with him and just, you know, have a great time, man. Yeah. You, uh, you hit on a lot of great points there. Uh, he's the truest dude out there. Team Sarah Longo certainly historically has to be very happy with that ally Quinta effort. And, and it obviously is going to withstand the test of time in terms of, uh, being very relevant in terms of discussing the historical context of Habib's career. I tell you, that warm-up show you're doing after the fights really seems to get you in a good place for this Anakin Florian <laughs> podcast. You're just fucking ripping. I mean, are you trying to, like, cut your hair and get on a television set? Because I can assure you Kenny, that tell you. maybe they'll keep some of that lettuce, but you got to clean it up a little. I can't even differentiate what's your sweatshirt, what's your fucking hair. Oh, oh yes. Yeah, yeah, get the man a fucking scrunchie. Get him a scrunchie. Are we going to ever get... Get scrunchie, Aljo. Are we going to... scrunchie, Aljo. Let me tell you, Aljo, forget, forget, Aljo's, on, Aljo's on fire, man. We did the countdown special. Oh. That kid's winning that fight, man. He's huh. looking phenomenal. Phenomenal. I think his this. head's in the right spot, everything. But uh, uh, I took are, we gonna get, are we ever going to hey. do a podcast where we can get past this other podcast news extra rounds? Yes. This will be the last time I talk extra about Extra rounds. We get very jealous, right? We get hey, very jealous. 47 sleeps until Aljo fights Piotr Jan. Um, right, love but it. I want to ask you a question in terms of who might be next for Khabib. But before I get there, if you could give me 30 seconds, I, I don't want to spend too much yeah. more time on this, but Ken Flo sort of insinuated earlier, piggybacking upon my point that Khabib has showed you only one layer, right? Because he doesn't need to show you the whole thing. Like we haven't seen this guy get tested. And so there is something sad about this, right? 
that this is final. I mean, DC was as sad as I've seen him filling up with tears, right? Because even Daniel thought at least we're getting to 30 and 0. And I don't know why so much. I mean, I do know why, but so much was put in that number 30 versus 29. It's like black 29 on a roulette table. Who gives a shit? You know, 29 or 30, it doesn't matter, you know? So, but in terms of Habib's stand up and the layers to his game, you know, I just, I don't know. I just feel like in a kickboxing setting, I'm not saying he lights the world on fire, but like, I'll fucking bet on him, you know? Yeah. Hey, let me tell you something, man. He proved he had a chin. Gaethje did land some shots. But, man, I tell you, that was a man possessed, man. He kept coming forward. I mean, Gaethje was out of breath after the first round. It looked he was breathing heavy. You know, he had to employ that game plan that he did by constantly moving. But I just, you know, if you're training, you got to be secure that you could do that for five rounds and stuff a couple of takedowns. So, uh you know, Khabib isn't the most orthodox striker, but he's willing to engage. He's willing to sit in the pocket and uh, he makes it work for him, man, period. That's it. He's tough and he could take and he looks like he's got a chin on him, man. And and John, he broke his foot a few weeks ago. Is that right? Yeah, he was in the hospital with mumps three weeks ago, too. Mumps, <laughs> that's, right? That's what I mean. It's like is he three years old. What are you talking right, about mumps? Mumps and measles. And right box. I don't know what any of that really is, actually. I, I don't even know what to say to that. God, God, goo, goo. I don't know what is that? <laughs> There's no way you got that wrong. You don't get mumps at, at 30. Javier Mendez said it was mumps. So I'm don't joking. Shoot the I, I'm, not, I'm, I'm joking. I'm not a doctor. I'm just an idiot playing one. No, I'm only yeah. kidding. But, uh, whatever. Here's the thing. That's how confident. That's how confident Habib Nurmagomedov was in facing Justin Gaethje. He's like, ah, dang, I broke my foot. Ah, dang, I got the mumps. Yeah, yeah. I'm just gonna go out and kick his ass anyway. It doesn't. It didn't matter. He was going to go out there and win that fight no matter what. I, I'm telling you, he looked like a man possessed to me when he was going forward. I don't even know if he cut the ring off like that on anybody before. I'm telling you, know you. What I mean? no, he, it was like, uh, my mom doesn't want me to be in here. I'm going to yeah. destroy you and go home. Without a Try not to hurt you. And I got to tell you, man, I love the fact that he's retiring on top. I love it. I don't like people sitting around just collecting a payday, getting hurt. This is a right. guy that, like uh, you know, Rocky Marciano, Joe DiMaggio, whoever you want to look at. These guys went out on top. They didn't linger around long. So you got, you know, to kind of ruin their legacy of, you know, yeah. you, you yeah. know, you see the guy. You know what I'm saying? I, I loved it. I think everything was great about it. It's unfortunate. You know, because it's selfish, we want to see the guy fight. We want to see the guy, you know, I don't even want to see the guy get tested because who else can test him? He went through some really top guys, man. You know what I mean? Oh, no doubt about it. There's no Uh, doubt about it. Yeah, with the exception of Ferguson. But, I, I, you know, at this point, I don't even know. Well, certainly, as I was walking from the broadcast booth to go do the post-fight show on ESPN Plus, by the way, if you wanted to watch that instead of what Ray's do. No, I'm just kidding. Sorry. I'm not even trying. No, you know what it is? Wow. It's just too fucking easy. (laughs) But I'm walking up the stairs to the post-fight show, and I'm thinking. Extra round. I'm you were thinking, thinking extra I'm, rounds when you were going no, up there? I'm thinking like I'm never going to see Tony Ferguson fight Khabib Nurmagomedov. I'm thinking. <laughs> and that's sad to me, you know? And I also think, too, like imagine if we saw Khabib get tested. And I say that with all due respect to his competition, but imagine seeing him bloodied or battered. Ray, someone said today he never even committed, committed a foul at his UFC career. It's unbelievable. Well, this is the thing. It, it's hilarious when – the one thing we can, everyone tries to, you know, point at when they're bringing up a Habib Nurmagomedov fight is that one time he kind of got clipped against right, Robert right. Johnson. Robert's like, I think he was hurt, man. I don't know. Oh, yeah, 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 right. 
but I'm not sure. Like right. that's the one right. thing you can point right. to. And 29 professional fights. Right. Insane. Or Ray, his close fight against Glayson Tebow early in his career or whatever. So, Ray, can, let me ask you this question. Yeah. All right. So we did a poll question trying to figure out which fight the UFC is going to make next for this now vacant UFC lightweight title. Uh, and there weren't enough choices on the poll question. So in the nature of not going down that rabbit hole, I, I wrote on Twitter, perhaps I should have put it like this. You can pick just one fighter, Ray, who must be a part of the vacant UFC lightweight title fight. So I'll give you six guys, and you're starting to make the fight with one guy, Dustin Poirier, Conor McGregor, Tony Ferguson, Justin Gaethje, Charles Oliveira, Michael Chandler. Who, who, is, who is half of your equation for this vacant lightweight title? Oh, I mean, what you would want to see? I mean, they already have fights made. Are we talking reality? No, meritocracy. Who is the most deserving lightweight to fight for the vacant strap? Wait, wait what'd you say? A meritocracy. Oh, God bless you. I, yeah, yeah, right. what, what is he doing? Cody, help me out. Can you, what, what, uh, Ameri, what, what is that? A meritocracy? Yeah, meritocracy. <laughs> I think you know what a meritocracy is. Aljamain Sterling, right? <laughs> on the merits of his body of work is unquestionably the number one contender right now. And as such, he's getting a title fight. So for me, Dustin Poirier is the hardest guy to make a case against Ken Flo, right? He's coming off a lightweight main event win against yep. Dan Hooker. That was had the round of the year, one of the fights of the year, right against a guy who was cannonball coming. You know, it's the highest quality lightweight win out there. And obviously he's a recent interim champion who lost to Habib. So for me and, you know, has I don't know if he has yeah. the win over Gage. Yeah, right. So that, that's the, you know, but, yeah, but again, a- trying to make a case against Poirier. I can't. I can make a case against almost anybody else. You right, know? right. It's hard to make a case against some of these yeah, guys. Yeah, based on that, I agree with you. Um, Kempfo, what do you think about that? Like, listen, who's I, the guy of those six that that you think is most deserving? So I, I think I think a Poirier McGregor fight makes the most sense. And, yeah. And you know, listen, I think it makes the most business sense, but I also think. You know, uh, based on merit, um, I, I think that's a fight that makes sense. You look at how Connor did uh, against now the context of this fight with Gaethje, how Connor did against Habib. I think, um, you know, he still had a really solid performance, a guy who's a former champion. Um, so I, I think that's a fight they have a, re- you know, they fought before with uh, Connor, of course, beating him at 145 pounds really quickly with a knockout. Um, I think Poirier is a different guy. Both really uh, have big names in the game right now. I think that's the fight. They've been talking about it. it it's 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 perfect. Yeah, here's what I'd like to see. All right, so they have Poirier McGregor, and I don't think I'm not saying this is right, but this is what I think I would like to see: do the uh, Dustin against McGregor and do Chandler against Gaethje in a yeah. tournament, yeah. and the winners fight yeah. each other. I yeah. think that's that yeah. would be exciting as hell. And yeah. that would be those are two great those yeah. are two great matchups. Put them on the same night. I think it's a huge draw. The winners fight each other. Yeah. The only flaw with that is that you know again Ferguson gets absolutely fucked over again. You know what I mean? But his last fight, I thought he took some tremendous damage. I didn't like the way his legs looked. I hope he's all right uh, with that. But I think Chandler Gaethje is exciting as hell, and I think. Um, you know, uh, McGregor and Poirier is going to be a great fight. Let the let that be a tournament, man. Put it on the same night. Three months later, the winners fight each other. I think you got yourselves a home run. I like that. 
So I spent a lot of time with Michael Chandler this weekend. I do think that there are a lot of possibilities in front of him. I, I think he would have some interest in maybe doing the ultimate fighter. He certainly has an appetite for the Gaethje fight. He wants the Ferguson fight. Um, but yeah, I mean, most of the fans obviously want Poirier McGregor too. The fight is already booked for January 23rd. It, 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 as long as we wanted it to happen at 155 pounds anyway, because it's just more relevant and far more interesting, I believe. And a lot of us want to see McGregor build his lightweight legacy, right? He's only competed a couple times, has one lightweight win. Granted, it was for the title. Um, but so I think that's probably the fight that they will do at 155 pounds for the vacant title. But the case against Connor really is that the Cerrone fight was at 70, because if that fight was at 55, Kenny, I just just watch that fight back on the plane, you know, with the shoulder strikes and the head kick and everything else. I mean, you see Cerrone in there with Nico Price and, you know, like Conor McGregor is just so good, man. Like he really is so good. And if that win was at 55, then this would be a very short conversation based upon Ferguson's last fight. Absolutely. I, I couldn't agree more. You know, fortunately and unfortunately, um, you know, Conor's biggest strength is also his biggest weakness. And it's that you know, because he speaks so loud, so loudly wherever he goes and, you know, knows how to hype the fight, your focus is on that. And you kind of forget that this dude is a phenomenal fighter as well. So, Ray, in terms of Tony Ferguson, I'm glad you, you, uh, you know, use the words fucked over, right? Because right. I believe that his double digit winning streak, the first guy, Kenny, at 155 pounds to put 10 or more lightweight wins on paper, is the most criminally underappreciated streak in the history of the sport. He's a first ballot Hall of Famer. It's miraculous and the worst miracle ever that he's never fought for the undisputed UFC lightweight title. So this, in theory, gives you the opportunity to finally put Tony up. I absolutely love the guy, right? Anybody yeah, who's yeah. listened to this show, Ken, yeah. I mean, like, you know, got all the tools in the world. But, you know, the case against right now, that last fight, is really a hard thing for a lot of people to overcome. You know how it was just brutal. I think if anybody physically can overcome that challenge, it's him. Obviously, yeah. he was dancing in the hospital, you know, but like, yeah. I don't know. It's just, it. if you do Ferguson, it eliminates Gaethje as a head to head win over him, as Ken right. said that's in our pre fight meeting. Like, the the, problem. You know, so you know, unless, what do you do? I mean, what do you do with Tony? Unless you do Chandler Ferguson right away, and then you, you know, the winner of that fights Gaethje again, period. You know, maybe it's a different fight now. But uh, again, here's the problem with, with Fer not the problem with Ferguson, but as a as a coach, as a manager, should he have taken that fight? Should he have waited for really what what he earned, man? That's where it gets crazy, man. Right. right. You know, to me, you know, Kenny, that's where he had the 11 fight win string. Like you say, it goes. I think that's phenomenal what he was able to accomplish against really good guys. And that's where it gets tricky, man. Was it worth taking that shot? You know, and again, an interim title, I think Gaethje was 100% right. I'll wait for the real one. Uh, that doesn't mean anything to anybody. Yeah. Now, you bring up a good point now because, okay, if, if Ferguson went out there and took that fight, uh, as essentially doing a favor for the UFC in some ways, you know, are they going to repay them now and kind of put him back into the picture and give him what he wants? I, you know, yeah. I, I don't know. And, and we forget how great of a streak that was with Ferguson, but – in this game, one fight can change the whole thing. For yeah. It's, it's, it's very unfortunate, but it's it's very true. Yeah, I just think with that type of win streak, man, how do you uh, – man, that guy should have fought for the real title one time. I mean, and I, I'll tell you what, I'm not sure that's ever going to happen now, and that that's yeah. really kind of a shitty story. So here's the thing, okay? If this were the NFL, right – 
they would it, it's a tricky thing because it's it's there's what is the subjectivity kenny is that the right word right subjectivity yeah. or object whatever the hell it is yeah. charles yeah. Oliveira, right like the the if it's the national football league charles Oliveira is getting the title shot he's got seven fucking consecutive lightweight wins Right. Did you guys bring up Charles Oliveira on your post-fight show, Ray? <laughs> <laughs> no uh, extra rounds. Uh, we didn't discuss that. But, uh, but Kenny, you see what I'm saying, up. though? Like, that's the thing. So for <laughs> no, Michael Chandler, okay? Michael Chandler, uh, I, uh, a longstanding friend of mine, he's zero yeah. and zero in the UFC, Ray, right? So anybody trying to make a case against Michael Chandler – all you have to look at is the fact that he's never fought in the UFC. And I yeah. do believe respectfully to my friend, yeah. there are more credentialed UFC lightweights and Chandler doesn't care. He'll do whatever you want him to do. But the point yeah. is, is that Kenny, he can make the walk in eight weeks. He's ready yeah. to go right? right And because he's making his debut. And because he kind of needs to be a company guy in some respects, he's literally essentially told Dana that he's ready to go. So he has that working for him, but Charles yeah. Oliveira, man, you know, I mean, <laughs> right. What are we doing well, then here? I'll tell you, then that's it's what you do. You put, I, well, hold on a second. You put Oliveira yeah. against Chandler, and you make those other fights like we said. Well, right. Know? There's a lot of options. I mean, I think for the UFC, they just want the belt on the line as soon as possible. You saw what they did with Cejudo. That belt was on the line before you know it. Yeah. Kenflo, go ahead on Charles yeah, Oliveira, no, the most decorated think, submission artist Penny, in UFC no, history. I think, I think he's starting to hit his strike. I take a sip of water. Just collect <laughs> <it>. <laughs> I'll say this. I think Oliveira is, um, you know, deserves a, a higher-ranked opponent right now. I don't – he has awesome wins, and he's been doing it by submission and doing it in a dominant fashion. He just – he doesn't have the same kind of scalps as the other guys and doesn't have the Fair. same kind of experience. Fair. So I will – I will say that's why I think he's yeah. overlooked, but there's no doubt what he's accomplished at 155 is yeah. extremely impressive. Right, right, no, right, of yeah. course. But it's interesting that his name sort of peeked into the conversation. And my buddy Paul Felder does not listen to the Anakin Florian podcast, and I absolutely love the guy. He's training for a triathlon March 14th in Miami, but he didn't expect Khabib Nurmagomedov to retire, right? So right. if you're Drew Dober, I think, who's maybe ranked between 10 and 15, He's always wanted to fight Habib. And I think it's really disappointing for some of these lightweights when they finally feel like they're about to make a run that that I know. Well, yeah, but no, no, but no, of course. But what I was getting at is that every, everybody above Drew Dober is like, this is unbelievable, right? Imagine being Michael Chandler. And again, we had this conversation in the airport lounge, Ray, but imagine being Michael Chandler, right? You get flown over there. You're now a part of the most, one of the most amazing nights in UFC history. You're part of that narrative. Uh, oh, and now, by the way, they need two guys to fight for the vacant undisputed belt, no interim or otherwise, like it's, it's an, uh, Chandler couldn't stop smiling, you know? And yeah, nah, I think, look, uh, anybody who knows Chandler, I've said this forever. That that's one of the nicest dudes you're going to meet. I yeah. just, he's another great guy. I think he's great for the UFC. He's always good for the sport. Uh, yeah, I don't know. They just got to start making, uh, fights now. Uh Oh, get over here. Get over here. Oh, who we got? We got? Look at this guy. This is the next bantamweight champion of the world. No, no. Look at this. I mean, can oh, we please? Joe, what's please. up, Al Joe? This guy's on fire, John. Unbelievable. <laughs> Ray just guaranteed victory. No pressure, Al Joe. I love you, buddy. It's great to see you. <laughs> Good to see you guys. I All love right? what I see out of this guy. I'm telling oh, you, different hey, person. His head's in the right spot. I think everything's coming together at the exact right time, man. The I only just thing feel he it, needed man. was the shot, baby. Yeah. You know, <laughs> and I will say this in front of him. 
Anik has had your back like forever. I know. Like I'm saying, even at the beginning, I was he would tell me and I wouldn't even say anything. Like I wasn't like, you know, right? And he would be just keep going. But now I'm on, I'm with you, John. Hey, I feel this is the I, right I, maybe I, I should have been a talent saying. scout. Maybe I should have been a talent uh, scout. hundred percent. You know? I know Ken Flo picks in, Hagen. Oh shoot, oh. Ken Flo picks in. Just for oh, the show. Al Joe, just for the sake of the podcast, just to mix it up for neutrality. He thought you were gonna win. That didn't go well <laughs> for me. It didn't go too well. I'll tell you what, man. I had I did an interview Forrest Griffin. We had on extra rounds. Excuse me, sorry about for blurting that out. Just came out, but what a funny thing. Uh, TJ asked him to make a prediction. He goes, "I won't do that because years ago Uriah Favor picked against him, and he still hasn't talked to him. He said he still holds the grudge. And this is the problem. This is all in good fun. I don't, you know, it puts you on the spot. You know, John, you have to see these guys. You know, doing picks." Right. See, Kenny could pick Santa. He might never see Aljo. It doesn't matter. <laughs> well, guys might meet in a jujitsu tournament. Very though. exciting stuff. Very and now I promise fun. that uh, in the next 47 days, we will have Aljamain Sterling in that seat uh, with Ray. I'd love to have you guys I'm do an interview together. There, Ray, so. I, I really like, again, speaking of Aljo, I think, you know, even the loss to Moraes, I think he grew from that. I don't think we'll see that happen again. And, uh, I, I'm telling you, his head's really anywhere that fight goes. I'm telling you, he's going to be ready. And uh, I love this Longo Central right now with the no, comings no, no, and goings. I, just, I mean, you, know, you got to get on YouTube, right? It's like I, I, I don't want our audio audience to be shortchanged, but it's no, like, we did, I mean, we did. you are the star of the fucking show. Look at you. We did, we did the countdown special the other day. I was clapping at the end. I was like, oh. this is phenomenal. He yeah. really is looking good. And I'm telling you, uh, everything happens for a reason. This is the perfect time. It really is. Well, I'm excited to see you in December. Uh, I got I got two daughters. I got plenty of hair ties. I'll bring some for you. Yeah, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't like this anymore. I don't even like my hair anymore. I just well, no, I I it's I just to, have to uh, find a COVID-free hair cutter, and it's not easy to do around here. The reason I shave my head is because it makes my fat face look thinner. You'll you'll look like a you you don't get a haircut for a year. You'll look like a million dollars if you get that. This has to be eight months at this point. Oh, at least at least well, you can almost put it in a ponytail. Well, I don't know if you have anything. uh, I don't know if you have anything else for us, but uh, we've taken enough of your time, and uh, we we appreciate you greatly. I think so. Unless you got something else, uh, do you want to talk about the uh, podcast I do after the fights? I don't know, maybe. Maybe, uh, uh, extra maybe, rounds. Not, maybe, maybe not, maybe extra maybe rounds. Not. I think it's hosted by my buddy, TJ DeSantis. Where can people watch this? If they don't want to watch, uh, if they don't want to watch the, watch the, uh, the, the, the post fight show, the First television off, you show get about 18 Plus. million views after the fight. So you don't even have to tell people. That's right. They're already listening. It's on fight right. pass. If That's you right. want to know, it's right. on UFC fight pass. Wait, wait, hold on. I'm, not, I'm not done yet. Wait a minute. <laughs> What else? Oh, listen, I'm leaving for Philadelphia Wednesday. We have James Gonzalez fighting okay. in the main event at CFFC. And then the following night, we have Pumi Nakuda, who's, uh, you know, one of Marab's training partners, probably the only guy that could keep up with the machine. This is the machine behind the machine. So right. uh, very excited for these two guys up and comers. And uh, I think James gets a win here. Gonzalez gets a win. James, uh, Kenny, again, a guy with sick MMA jiu-jitsu. You saw what he did. In that last fight, when he mangled that poor kid's arm, uh, luckily he's all right yeah. though, so it's all good. But um, yeah, these are two good guys that I think we'll see in the UFC shortly. 
All right, my man. Well, uh, I said in our pre-show meeting, like I could spend 10 minutes on Miranda Maverick. I mean, I feel like there's so many different layers and things we could talk about. But uh, in the nature of time, we're uh, we're going to let you go and we'll talk to you next week. I think I'm going to do a shoey on the show next week. Wow. I'm not prepared to do one today because I literally walked in the door to do the podcast. You know, you know that's better, better than doing a pooey. I don't I don't follow. Yeah, well, you'll follow. All right. Oh, okay. All right. <laughs> what do you think and about Ty Tuivasa doing these shoeys, Ray? Before we before we uh, go too much. Yeah. I mean, you obviously you know the guy. I mean, what energy that guy has. I'm happy he got the win. He's just a nice guy, always friendly, always entertaining, always you know a good laugh. I love those Australian guys are, are great. I love Australia, man. I feel like amazing people. I almost amazing feel like country. it's a home away from home. Like they're just uh, great people, man. I I love going there. Well, I know I joke about you being a superstar, and with respect, I know when you walk down the street in New York City, you're not getting stopped for autographs. But if Ray Longo goes to Australia, I'm telling you, folks, uh, like, the guy can't go anywhere. They might be the best fans in the world. See, man. you know, right? No, I'm See? telling you, look, I'm telling the truth. Right? It's the truth. Have... Like the truth hurts sometimes, right? Yeah, the truth hurts. Uh, that Ray has to go all the way to Australia to be an <laughs> able celebrity. Well, let's go down the street in Manhattan someday, and we'll we'll check it out. Oh, I know. I right after but, the, the uh, little Harry Connick rub or whatever. Right. And I, even last time I was there, Jimmy Crute, what a great guy, great win for him yeah. too. That's off to Jimmy Crute, another great guy. Who, what a slip and rip that was, Kenny, right over the top. Boom. Beautiful. Bang, boom, zang. Don't oh, yeah. hey, I love you. You I elevate the whole program. I don't want to go. All right, then let me say this real quick because I was going to say this right when you got off, just because if you're curious, what, right? What, what so. If I stay on longer, will that mean Ian doesn't get on? Uh, we, have, we have shortened his segment a little bit, but let's uh, let's not upset the duck because okay. he's. Uh, I know Kenny. Kenny's dying to do his bets with him. Okay, what so else? With this, <laughs> so the shoey, right? Yeah. So I consulted with Aussies, uh, UFC veteran Damian Brown. You don't have to spit in it to have it count as a shoey. You don't have to pass the sneaker around the room and have the Nelk boys all spit in it to have it qualify as a shoey. So next well, week on the program, and you know, like I guess I said on television that DC could spit in the shoey that I would do. I don't remember that, but if that's what people want me to do, I would do that. But next week on the program, I'm going to grab a shoe, not a new one. I'll pour beer in it and I will drink it for, for our audience. And if that's not good enough uh, in a COVID-19 climate with no spit in my shoey, then I don't know what to tell you. That's Listen, what I was going to say. Beer, beer, beer kills everything, John. You're yeah, fine. In, a, in America, <laughs> in America, you don't have to spit in it. A shoey is just dump the beer in there, okay. in your shoe, right. put your foot in there, squish it around barefoot, and then you drink it. Yeah. yeah. Is that Delicious. good? Yeah. Delicious. Sounds so, uh, good. All right, buddy. Did you guys talk about Lauren Murphy and Miranda Maverick, the flyweights on uh, Extra Rounds? <laughs> yes, we did. <laughs> I bet you guys. You guys went late into the night. I mean, this is like. I mean, well, it was done a early. lot of content <laughs> here. You know, it's a lot of fucking content. Parker's gonna be so pissed. But I'm telling you right now, Ken Flo. I'm. I don't know if you saw Random Maverick because it was on ESPN Plus early in the night. I'm telling you it. right now, with respect to Lauren Murphy, who has won four in a row, who absolutely deserves a title fight right now. Right, Miranda Maverick, very well could be a top five, top four, top three flyweight in the world right now i'm telling you did you see what she did to liana joju's nose right like she's just getting started i'm telling you like Dude, that up elbow are you kidding me bro i'm sick. telling you ray sick. Uh, uh, this is not promotional hyperbole i'm That's telling you top five she she made her ufc debut 
She was born in 1997. She's studying for her PhD. She was cutting weight while working as a teacher's assistant on Zoom. And then she went out and did that. She's violent. She's super well-versed on the ground. I believe jujitsu was her first martial art, but I'm a little tired right now. I'm telling you, I'm telling you, she made her debut. And I, there are there are not a lot of women in that division that, that – uh, that could beat her. Jennifer Maya is going to fight Shevchenko. Lauren Murphy, I think, is is the, the obvious next. But man, like chips to the center of the table on Miranda Maverick. I'm telling you, future UFC champion. So you're you. just as high on Miranda as you were with Aljo. Oh yeah, yeah, oh, absolutely. Right. Yeah. So we'll see. Dude. We'll see. Is... Maybe I have a future in uh, in the no, scouting business. Do you mind business if I bring that up on? Do you mind if I bring that up on extra rounds? Absolutely. Week? But I, at this point, I really do need to let you go with that seventh plug. Okay, I love you though. Take it easy. There he is. Hey, I See love you guys, man. Good show, man. I'll talk well, to you hey, later. I try not to uh, to pump up our podcast, but if you didn't enjoy the very long minute today. Take it. <clears throat> and Flo, I heard you're moving place. back east. I, I am. I am. Good for you. Yes, sir. Another person left. Uh, oh, left yeah. It's like it's a win horrible. for you, right, Ray? You know? Get this guy back to the East Coast. <laughs> you got to go, closer. Ray. Ray, you got to go. Uh, take it easy, guys. I'm you're totally right. you. I love you. <laughs> Sorry, I'm telling you, though, Ian Parker gets super sensitive. He really does. <laughs> Notice how Kemp flow, too, when you bring up the East Coast. Like, again, you're not getting information here of that, I can assure you. Today's main event challenge is brought to you by MyBookie, where winning season has now returned. Winning season means doubling your first deposit. It means insane props, epic bonuses, and the craziest cross-sport wagers out there. At MyBookie, winning season means watching live sports, betting on live sports all season long. And for daily bettors out there, we are rejoicing because the NFL is in fine form. Action-packed Sundays, huge cash prizes. UFC, of course, live every weekend right through December 19th. A lot of opportunities to bet, so why not get in on the action? The promo code is Florian to double your first deposit. New players get up to $1,000 in free play. $1,000 deposit, you get two Gs designed to add more excitement to the sports you love and the games you bet. So bet with the best this NFL season for your chance to win big. Use promo code Florian and double your first deposit. Your winning season begins today only at my bookie. All right, let's see how the fellas did. Main event challenge. It's the main event challenge. Annick. The time is most definitely now. I finished fights. I'm going to do everything possible to win. The main event challenge. The John Annick and Kenny Florian podcast. All right, we now welcome in the duck, Ian Parker. It's nice to see you, Ian. You just sort of warned me off the air to, like, not haze you today. Is that what that was? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, we're gonna start off with that. Yeah, All right, I, well, saw, I saw I saw the look you gave me right out the gate. I no, exactly what it is. Um, I'm making a statement though, and uh, we're just gonna go with that. So, so my twin brother Jason Anik hosts Remember the Show with Bilal Muhammad every Thursday on the Anik and Florian Podcast YouTube channel, right? And I lost my train of thought a little bit there with your duck shirt. Is one of those in the mail for me? Uh, it'll be hand delivered this week. You just let me know what so, works for you. So you got your own shirts. Can you sit up a little bit? It's amazing. Is the podcast yeah. logo on the back or is this just Oh yeah. Oh my it's, goodness gracious. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's by, it's it's where the tramp the stamp duck. would be. That's where the circle uh listen, I just Unbelievable. Made this for, I, listen, I just made this for me. I felt like branding wise, you know, it just you know what? I, I think the duck deserved, you know, his own shirt and uh it's not I being agree. sold. It's not being sold anywhere. You know, I'm not uh, I'm not setting up a site. I'm not I'm not going to not give you and Kenny your royalty checks. You know, it's uh, we know I'm a team <laughs> player. So this is more of like, hey, he looks like an asshole or the duck shirt is kind of cool. Bilal Muhammad, I showed him. He said he loved it. He wants one. So, yeah, 
But he didn't say he'd pay for one. He just said he wanted one. So that's, you know. So I remember what I was going to say about my brother, right? So like if we were to do a podcast together, he and I, we would go at it, right? Like we would just, I don't know if it would be good content. And you and I have a little bit of a brotherly relationship, right? So I don't get to talk to you all that often. So you come on. And so I naturally go down that path, right? So I want to bust your balls and say, we have these duck t-shirts, right? But but we're not third-party tracked. We're not giving the audience your best bet. So before we get to the picks, I want to know what the best bet is for our audience on Halloween. Like, who are we betting on? Ooh. Or post it on the Anakin Florian podcast channel, like your best bet, and it has to be like minus 150 or lower, okay? Yeah, and we're I mean, starting this week. Yeah, it's hard for me to really give that when Kenny's already giving me a look because <laughs> he's ahead this week, you know. But uh, No, he's not. I will tell you, no, I know, I know. I got the Whitaker uh, that decision was big. Look, I, I think right now, right out the gate, and I'm, this is going to, we'll get into this, but I think a Greg Hardy, uh, Uriah Hall type of parlay is something with maybe a couple other guys in there is looking a little appetizing at the moment, but I don't want to ruin the breakdown. And uh, I'm really curious why Kenny's already given me that, uh, that look before I even said anything. He's like, assuming I was going to, and I've been working on my pronunciations. I, I don't want to get ripped by every person on this video. Uh, yeah, so this is starting off. This is a really good start so far. I'm really proud I think of this it is episode a good start. so far. I, I'm excited. Yeah, I'm really- well, it was a pretty good week for you guys. You tied 6-6. Six, six. Um, so it's 133 to 133. You're both above 500, which is good. You know, hasn't been the best month, if I'm being candid. Uh, so we got UFC Fight Night Hall versus Silva. How did he tie? Didn't it? So you got the Whitaker decision. So it's so funny because I usually am very detailed about this. I scored it and then tossed it in my hotel room. Uh, but yeah, I, you guys tied six, six, but we can uh, chase that history for you. Ken flow after the show and we'll update the standings accordingly. Um, but big picture guys, this is one of eight remaining live events for the UFC this year. So we're coming down the stretch and we're tied and, and it's very exciting. This conclusion to the 2020 main event challenge. First fight going to be at lightweight guys, Bobby green minus two seventy. He's been in a lot of pick'em type fights, taking on Tiago Moises plus two ten. How about Bobby King Green? Ian wins in June, August, September. Could go four and zero in 2020. Here on the other side, you got Tiago Moises uh, trains under Pahumpa, American top team. Submitted Michael Johnson with an Achilles lock back in May, and now we'll see if he can cool off the white hot Bobby Green. And talk to me, man. What do you think? Big price on Green. Yeah, on a betting standpoint, it's a hard straight pick. I think another guy you could toss in a parlay with some other heavy favorites for sure. I like Bobby Green here, and I kind of feel like an idiot that I uh, picked Clay Guida, even though with the smaller cage, Kenny and I both agreed that the wrestling maybe would have worked for Clay. But Bobby Green's showing us something here. He's serious, and he's fighting a lot, often, smart. That takedown defense is going to be key here. Very, very key. If this fight stays standing, he wins, no question. You know, the fight against Michael Johnson... Johnson won that round pretty clearly. And then within seconds, uh, he grabbed a hold of that ankle and it was done. I think Bobby Green has got phenomenal takedown defense, and I am definitely going with the king here. When do you think the last time Bobby Green was submitted? 2009, Ken Flo. Good jujitsu on the other side with Tiago Moises. But when I read like IBJJF gold medalist back in the day, I'm not exactly sure what level or what exactly that means, but he's a credentialed guy. I know Pahupa believes in him. I was surprised to see uh, just how big this price was, but given Green's current momentum, uh, maybe I shouldn't be. What do you think about this fight on the main card? You know, to me, to get back to your earlier question about, you know, is a gold medal important, all that stuff. I think, you know, it's less about the medals and more about how they went about their wins. Are they submission oriented guys or 
did they win a, a gold medal by, you know, holding someone and not moving the whole time and winning by advantage. But anyways, right. um, I think that Bobby Green um, hasn't been submitted in a while. Um, I, I think it's possible, certainly against someone like this. Um, this is a guy who uh, actually, I think he was in on a single and dropped uh, down to guard and immediately went into that footlock. Um, he could potentially try to do that against Bobby Green. I could see him pulling that off against someone like Bobby, who's, you know, um, a, a decent wrestler, but not great on the ground necessarily. Mm. Um, I think that Bobby Green should have the advantage here. I don't think it's as clear cut as Ian's saying uh, it is. I think uh, Bobby can certainly win by knockout, um, but um, I, I see him probably winning by decision. Let's go Bobby Green by decision. All right, both guys like Bobby Green. We move on to the heavyweights. Greg Hardy, minus 315. The crochet boss, Maurice Green, plus 245. God damn it, is that fun to say. So Hardy got past Jorgen DeCastro. Ken Flo, it was on points back in May, his third UFC win. Maurice Green, you remember, sort of memorably rallied to submit John Vellante back in June. Uh, but he's a plus 250 underdog or so here, Ken Flo. Why don't you lead us off? You know, Ian obviously likes Greg Hardy. You'll pay a price if you're betting him straight. What do you think about this? Jeez, um, this is an interesting fight. Obviously, when you get two heavyweights in there throwing down, um, there's a lot that can happen. I think Greg Hardy has certainly improved uh, as a fighter. I actually, in a weird way, think that, um, you know, in the third round, he actually might have the advantage in some ways as far as conditioning. Um, he really has paced himself a lot better and has uh, gained a lot of composure with his experience that he's had in the UFC thus far. Um, I, I do think, uh, the crochet boss is, uh, the better striker. Um, I, I think he's going to be more technical. He's got, um, I think better skills on the feet. Um, if he can keep Hardy on the outside, I think he could potentially outpoint him. Um, but this is tough. Um, it is, it's tricky. It's be, you know why it's tricky because in our scoring system at this stage of the year, when you get three points for picking Maurice green and you get one for picking Hardy, it, it makes you inclined to take a few chances, you know? Um, but you could certainly give a pick now and change it later. If you, uh, so desire. Let's go with green. Let's go. All with right. Kemflo likes the crochet boss, Maurice green plus two forty five. Ian, you were sort of talking about building a best bet for our audience around Greg Hardy. So why do you like him in this spot? I mean, he's fought a better level of competition and he has shown, I think, improvements. I'm really staying away from that evolution word. I really don't want Kenny <laughs> to punch me through the screen. I see, I listen. Um, he has definitely improved the fight against Volkov, against Jorgen DeCastro. You know, and Kenny, yeah. I think the best point you made for Greg Hardy, we've seen great conditioning out of him, you know, and we haven't seen a guy who's impatient. You know, we went from a guy that was knocking people out in five seconds on the contender series to a guy who's gone three rounds and three rounds and he went the full distance with Volkov. He did it with the Castro. Yeah. And we're talking about a guy in the crochet boss, phenomenal nickname. And I love uh, his team behind him, but dude, I'm sorry. I don't even know if he is, this is so far out of his league. In my opinion, that fight against Volante was ugly and yeah. lucky. Okay. Yeah. Number one, he looked tired three seconds into the fight. Volante was throwing wild hooks and connecting so much. And I love John Volante, but come on. He, he did not come in peak condition. And Crochet Boss is supposed to be someone that is an athletic heavyweight. He's going against a, a ridiculously athletic heavyweight with a really good team. And I think Hardy runs through him. Uh, I mean, that choke that he got, I, I, Kenny, I wish I was sitting next to you during that fight and watch you draw up that tweet when he submitted Volante via Volante exhaustion and not actual choke. But uh, 
I'm going Greg Hardy here. I don't care if it's decision or knockout. I just don't see how Crochet Boss really wins. Predictable, slow. I think he's got potential, but I love Greg Hardy in this fight. All right, co-main event, the fight I am most looking forward to this weekend and probably by a good margin. Featherweight division, thug nasty Bryce Mitchell, minus 170. Andre Feely is plus 140. Um, Ian, you're going to lead here. We'll need the round and the method of victory. So, again, you guys are the experts, right? But Mitchell looks like a real problem to me. Future title contender, in my opinion. Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt. And I think the way he sort of applies MMA jiu-jitsu is, is exceptional. Um but toughest test to date in Andre Feely. And what do you think here? This is a very, very interesting fight. We have a guy awesome in field. fight. So good. Very well matched. You know, I'm just, what throws me off here is why Feely would actually take this fight where he's at in his career, because I think he's should be getting a higher ranked fighter than Bryce Mitchell. And that's not a knock on Bryce at all. It's just Bryce hasn't fought that level of competition yet. He hasn't fought names that Andre Feely really has and been in the wars and stuff. You know, I think where Bryce has to take this fight is to the ground. I think he has to get into side mount and really work from there because Feely is very tough to take down. He's very fast. He's, I think he's going to be the longer fighter. And then can do take a punch. You know, we haven't seen Mitchell really tested either on the chin or anyone. I mean, I don't know how many rounds he's even lost so far where it was like he had a battle through controversy. And we've seen Feely really do that. We've seen Feely show heart in that last fight. Could have gone yeah. either way, right? So in a situation where we're talking about taking shots at underdogs and plays, I think I'm going to go experience and speed here. I think that's where Andre Feely can get the job done. I am very concerned, though, if Bryce Mitchell gets his fight to the ground within the first minute and a half when they're not sweaty. Bryce can take advantage. I don't think he gets a twister on a guy like Feely, but right. I'm going to go Andre Feely. I think this is going to be a fucking war. I'm yeah. going to go Andre Feely by decision. Outstanding job. Beautiful breakdown of that. Last man to submit Andre Feely can flow. Our old friend, Gato Fredo Pepe, flying triangle back in 2015. So Bryce Mitchell, 26 years old, 13 and one, four and zero in the UFC, but Feely 16th UFC appearance. He's won three of his last four and Max Holloway. Not all that long ago. Ken flow said that Andre Feely was the toughest opponent he had ever fought. That was pre Volkanovsky, but the point still stands. This is a very credentialed guy in Andre Feely. And I think he sees the value in beating the guy who's getting the camo shorts. What do you think about the co-main? That's exactly right. I, I think that's why he's taking this fight. And, you know, I agree with you, you know, uh, if he wins, it doesn't really do a whole lot for him in some ways, but it does with the fan base. Cause I think there, there are a lot of Bryce Mitchell fans out there and there's a lot of hype behind him right now. Um, so I think in his mind, he's like, you know what? I'm going to take out this up and comer right now. Uh, and I think it will make him look good. So uh, I also agree with you in the fact that I think that uh, Andre Feely, um, you know, is fighting him at the right time. I think Andre Feely's experience, his length, uh, and the fact that he is very difficult to take down uh, is going to be tough for Bryce Mitchell. I see Andre Feely, you know, kind of uh, picking him apart from the outside. Uh, landing a lot of shots, landing a lot of kicks, and avoiding those takedowns. Um, and I, I think Feely is good enough to survive if the fight goes to the ground in the last minute or two. But um, I do agree with you early on. That's where he's got to be careful against Bryce Mitchell. That's when M Mitchell can take him down and has, you know, a lot of time and space to, to work a submission. But I do like Andre Feely in this fight. I, I think he pulls it out. And how do you have him getting that job done, my man? Uh, let's go by uh, decision. 
I do think that maybe we need an intern. We'll pay you too, by the way. Ian Park will pay. Have you seen his house in South Florida? My God. Um, but we need an intern because I, when you guys are aligned on underdogs, historically, I would say you guys are very good, but I don't have numbers to back that up. So we need an intern. All right. Main event likely to be the last UFC appearance, Kenny for Anderson Silva. So I want you to lead the dance here. He is 45 years of age. That means he was born in 1976 or sooner. And Ken Flo and I love that. Uh, but Uriah Hall, man, is a lot of part of the story here because he's ranked in the top 10 and he's had some really unfortunate circumstances this year. Sleeping on an air mattress at Fortis MMA, having the Jacare fight go away because Jacare tests positive for COVID-19. The Yoel Romero fight, which seemingly a lot of these middleweights want, to ch- want uh, a chance to prove themselves against that guy. He didn't get that opportunity. So promotionally being rewarded here, Kenny, with this opportunity against one of the best to ever do it, a true legend. Um, who wins the main event on Halloween and how do they get it done? Man, um, you know, I think that uh, what made Anderson Silva so great for many years, I think, was, you know, a, a big part of it anyway. What were his physical gifts? He certainly was a very technical striker, uh, but speed-wise, he could read you with his eyes and move out of the way or, you know, dip and duck. It seems like that's kind of gone now, and he just kind of is a little bit more, um, you know, cautious with his stance and doesn't utilize his footwork as much which concerns me against a guy like Uriah Hall, who is very explosive, who is, is still going to be fast, um, still has some power. Um, but I, I do think that Anderson Silva, with all of his experience, if there's a guy that he can do well against, it's someone like uh, Uriah Hall who's a good striker. We saw how good Anderson Silva looked against someone like Israel Adesanya. Um, you know, is Uriah Hall at the level of Adesanya? I don't think so. Uh, I do think Anderson can make... Uh, some good decisions out there. And so long as he's not overly aggressive and gets cocky, um, I actually think Anderson Silva wins this fight by decision. All right. Minus 225 for Uriah Hall. Anderson Silva is plus 175. And Ken Flo likes Anderson Silva to go out on a high note in that tiny little 25 footer. I mean, Anderson has never competed in that. Well, no, I shouldn't say that because he made his UFC debut in June of 2006. So he has absolutely been in that little thing. But, Ian, were it not for some pretty kind judging, I think, against Derek Brunson at UFC 208, which was February of 2017, you'd have to go all the way back to UFC 153, 2012, to find his last win against a true psychopath, Stefan Bonner. Last appearance, May of 2019, uh, and he suffered that leg injury against Jared Cannonier. So that's the history. What do you think about the dog Silva and the favorite Hall, Ian? Can we talk about Stefan Bonner being in Diego Sanchez's corner and that insanity that probably was going on in that background? God, not not during a week in which Khabib Nurmagomedov retires. I'm sorry. You're right. Yeah. I apologize. Um, all right. Yeah, I don't see Anderson Silva doing very. This is this is not a. This is a. Oh, come on. How are you gonna do it to this? How are you gonna give Anderson Silva the guy that was supposed to be the next Anderson Silva, who's still in ridiculous <laughs> shape, who's sleeping on a mattress in Fortis MMA, who is still hungry to do this. And Anderson <laughs> like just signed like a 15 fight deal, like three months ago. Now he's retiring. Cause he knows this is just, this is terrible. He should have fought Diego Sanchez at a catch weight in his final fight. Uh, I don't see this being a very good situation for Uriah. Hall, I mean, for Anderson Silva, uh, where he used to have those levels in his game with defense and the head movement. It's not there anymore. That speed is slowed down. Age has caught up to him. I think the amount of fights he's had in the UFC has caught up to him. You know, he's taken a lot of damage since then. I mean, with the wide since Wyman's fight, he's got hit a lot. I don't think he really did that great against Israel Adesanya. I think Adesanya didn't want to embarrass his hero or legend and just 
got through the fight, winning it while being respectful, you know, same way that DC beat Anderson Silva. You know, DC literally could have done whatever he wanted in that fight, literally whatever he wanted, and he let it go the full amount of time. I just think that Uriah Hall can also take this fight to the ground if he really wants to without getting submitted. Physically, going to be way stronger. He's more athletic. His jiu-jitsu is underrated. Not a guy that has ever, I don't think, been submitted while being on top as well. And Kenny, I think you may have just picked that based on loyalty and uh, you're just a sweet guy, man. You're a sweet guy, but I want to fucking beat you. So I'm taking Uriah Hall. Uh, I'm going to even go second round knockout. Round two TKO. Uriah Hall is the pick for Ian Parker. He wants to beat Ken Flo. He wants to secure his slot for the entirety of 2021. Hey, before I let you go, I do want your thoughts on this real quick. So mm. if you're putting a lightweight championship fight together, right, for Oof. the vacant belt right now, and you're doing it solely based upon a meritocracy, right? Are you starting that fight with Dustin Poirier? I mean, what fight are you making if you're trying to give the, the shot to the, the, the two most deserving guys right now? It seems like most people are settling on uh, McGregor and Poirier, which in theory is already booked in some capacity for January 23rd. All right. I'm going to start a little bit backwards if I can here. So the one person I would not put in there, and this is not a knock on him, but I think Michael Chandler needs a fight right. like it's a Dan Hooker or a Charles Oliveira. You know, or even, a, you know, I know a lot of people were coming at you hard about not putting Tony Ferguson there, right? It's it's a little hard, in my opinion, to throw anyone who's coming off a loss into that title shot range. That, that go ahead. Can I just say, right, to your point? Sure. So your for, show. Right, you no, 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 want. but no, I, and then I'll get out of your way. But Ferguson, Gaethje, mm -hmm. Felder, Hooker, all coming off a loss. <laughs> yeah. Um, here's my issue, though, with Connor to be honest with you. And I, I don't care about all the Connor nut huggers. They're going to shit on me. I think Con what Connor's done for the sport, getting eyes on the sport has been phenomenal, but he just beat Cowboy Cerrone at 170. To me, that doesn't warrant a title shot either. Obviously these are different circumstances, you know, Dustin beat Gaethje already. So th this is probably the hardest thing to really do. Kenny looks hungry. Like he wants and to jump got, in. Go ahead. He's got, but you could also say Connor has a knockout win over Dustin. Yeah, back in like 98, I get it. You know, I think there's been a lot of differences here. No, no, but listen, but this is why it's so difficult, right? So if you want to really, in my opinion, if the UFC with the powerhouse marketing they have, I think it'd be so sick if they did a Grand Prix and pretty much spread it out. I don't think there's really a rush to fill that va vacant title right at the moment. You know, so I mean, the, you, don't think that, you don't think the UFC benefits by having a title fight on pay-per-views? You don't think that, that they're going to draw that out in a tournament? Um, well, here's the thing. Does it matter if Connor has a belt or not as a main event for pay-per-view? Well, that's part of the case the against him, himself, but that's why it is. right. I mean, I'm telling know, you though, Kenny, Ian, Kenny, I, I don't, wait, hold on. I don't, I don't disagree with what he's saying. I, I do look, but I'm just saying from a fan's point of view, I think it'd be so cool to do a grand prix if they were able to have the top eight guys do it because, and the only reason why I say this now is because everybody, in my opinion, except for Dustin Poirier, Poirier is the only one, in my opinion, who really deserves the title shot based on where he's come, you know, based on his performance after losing, you know, but I think him versus Connor from marketing wise can make sense. And if you want to do, you know, Gaethje and the winner of Tony Ferguson Chandler, yeah, well, let's, you listen, know? Bro, the, the bro. reality is, with COVID in this in this environment, it's just not going to happen. First That's of all, true. tournaments rarely work out. With this COVID environment, it's even less of a chance that any fight uh -huh. gets made. Why would you do that? It's, it's just so hard to get fights off in this climate. That is a good part. But, Ian, you got to understand, right? Like, sure. Dana said last week during fight week, 
I forget opinion, to whom, but. but no, I know, I know, but I'm saying, but I'm just saying Listen, they they don't want a John, vacant belt. Any, they, height, any weight, weight classes don't matter. Didn't we start this whole thing to begin? I'm just kidding. Go ahead. Sorry. No, but I'm just saying it's like you can't look too far ahead. I love in theory the tournament stuff. It's fun to talk about. And yes, when you put eight lightweights in a bracket, it looks really fucking cool. It but does. it's like it's <laughs> fantasy land, you know? Yeah, no, it's I'm not. No, and and I'm saying it's like so. And so no fights make sense for the top contenders other than Connor unless. We know who the champion is. So you want to get that belt on the line as right. soon as humanly possible. Yes, you're right that Connor could fight and it doesn't really matter. But I think Connor would love to be the undisputed UFC lightweight champion. He's coming off a dominant yeah. win, granted at 70. And I just, I don't know. I just think that well, backing up Dana's point that Poirier Hooker only made sense at, or excuse me, that Poirier McGregor only made sense at 55. Like yes. that dovetails yeah. with, 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 with stakes, championship stakes. No, no, and I agree. So what I was going to say after Kenny made uh, the best point, really, and I agree with you, I'm just saying if there was a time to do it, not based on COVID, just because everyone's lost to everybody except for Dustin and even with Connor. Right, However, right. here's here's the win-win, though, right? Obviously, Connor versus Dustin for the belt. If Dustin wins, star, star is born. He's got the charity stuff behind him. Good guy. Winning the belt, beating Connor is awesome. If Connor wins, the marketing machine is back, and any any – fight after that Connor can sell I just hope that if Connor does win that belt he doesn't pull the Manny Pacquiao shit and he doesn't defend for like a year and a half that's my only fear when it comes to Connor he doesn't he's not an active champion that's not a knock right money right. you know money doesn't matter to him and a lot of these guys are fighting still for those paychecks but listen again it's part be, of the case against yeah right but I still think it's going to be Connor Dustin yeah for the belt right. and then what you do after that. Um, yeah. So you're about to kick me off, right? I got it. Well, I was just going to say this Friday, right <laughs> after the way in, or at some point after the way and go to Twitter at Ian Parker MMA, and he will give you that best bet uh, that I sure. teased off the top. So uh, we're going to start doing a weekly best bet from you, uh, cool. obviously going head to head and, and uh, doing your thing <laughs> with Ken Flo and trying to, uh, to win this thing for team Anik. And I think what might be the final year that it's actually called team Anik, because I am, I'm a facilitator. I'm really not involved. I'm happy to pay off the bets for either one of you. Lord knows I'd do anything for Ken Flo, but at Ian Parker MMA after the weigh-in on Friday and uh, appreciate it. Uh, great job, Duck, on some of those breakdowns, my man. Now, you, one last thing. Uh, congrats to Khabib on a phenomenal career uh, to go out that way, to win that way. You know, I don't I don't think there's anything left for him. And uh, I think it was pretty cool what GSP said that he wouldn't, you know, drag the guy out of retirement for that type of fight. Anyone who says or knocks his career, <coughs> John Jones, um, I think is absolutely just being salty right now for no reason. But, uh, what a way to go out and, you know, congrats to him. So. All right, buddy. Great stuff. We'll, uh, we will talk to yeah, you right. next Sunday or Monday and, uh, get ready for November 7th. Thank you, buddy. You got it, man. Later. All right. Some NFL plays for you on the way out. I am four and three. Cody Merrow is two, four and one. I'm not gloating early. I know better than do that in NFL handicap. And who do you have for week, for week eight, my man? Once again, short and sweet. I'm going to go with a team that, you know, really hurt us a couple of weeks back. I thought the Patriots should have beat the Broncos when they came into New England. I still don't think the Broncos are very good. So the Broncos 0-3 at home. They're welcoming in the Chargers who are getting minus three point. I got to go with the 5-1 and one against the spread Chargers, minus three against the Broncos. All right, Chargers minus three against the Broncos. And uh, you know what I'm doing here. Did anyone see the New England Patriots game this weekend? Ken Flo, did you see the Pats game? It was tough. It was tough to watch, man. So 15 yeah. hour flight from Abu Dhabi and uh, on the Etihad Airways, we get 
one NFL game in each window and the flight lined up. So of course we got that Patriots game and I fell asleep well at halftime after that abomination in the first half. So my brother thinks that, uh, and you can see my twin brother, by the way, he's got hair down to his shoulders. Remember the show, remember the show with Bilal Muhammad this Thursday, eight 30 Cody. PM Eastern time, 8.30 PM Eastern time. That is a live program. We're live to tape, uh, but it looks like uh, maybe Dustin Poirier and Paul Felder are, are both going to be on that program on this very channel. Um, but I'm taking the Buffalo Bills at home, minus three and a half against the New England Patriots. Jay thinks that Cam Newton was like sick or something. So the line opened four, as I saw, it's down to three and a half, and that's enough for me to get on the Buffalo Bills, and I'll hope to rip up that ticket. But Ken Flo, that was disgusting. It was bad, dude. It was it almost got comical. Like in the second half, I just started laughing. I was like, Yeah, oh really? yeah. You just right. trip over your own feet right now? Like you're taking a step. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's just, yeah. like literally everything that could have gone wrong basically did. It was like yeah. one of the uh worst regular season losses in a while, you Oof. know. Almost as comical as all those championship banners, like six yeah. in a row in Foxborough. <laughs> it's unbelievable. You know? It's like Belichick's running out of fingers. That's why he's taking it on the chin a little bit this year. But uh, all right, we got to get on out of here. Thanks for uh, for being with us as always. Thanks for spreading the word on the podcast. We appreciate that as well. Everybody's saying, oh, you need more subscribers. Hey, we're 273 shows in, launched the YouTube channel last year. Please be along for the ride. Get on the He-Boss. Get on the bandwagon. AnnaFlorianPodcast.com if you want merchandise. Thanks to Ray Longo. Thanks to Ian Parker. Our producer is Cody Merrow. And on behalf of the flow, just really want to thank everybody out there for supporting the show, supporting that essay I did on Habib. I love all of you. You can subscribe on YouTube if you're just on the audio side. Tell your friends. Uh, And Saturday night, I guess we'll see how it goes for the 45-year-old Anderson Silva. And then we're back to recap it all with you next week. Until then, stay healthy. Don't text and drive. And Militich, these masks, I think they work. Uh, So if it's not too much, shield your face, bro. We'll talk to you guys next week. Kill later. I'm Royal Oaks. Next time on Too Many Lawyers, we take on a couple of villains to sort out whether bad stuff is also illegal stuff. George Santos won a seat in Congress by lying to voters, but is that a crime? And Kanye West made it clear he hates Jews. In England, he'd go to jail for that. Here in America, did he commit a hate crime? Listen to Too Many Lawyers on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Now's a good time to remember where the story of tequila started. In 1795, the first tequila distillery was opened by the Cuervo family. And 229 years later, Cuervo is still going strong. Family owned from the start. Same family, same land. Now's a good time to enjoy Cuervo, the tequila that invented tequila. Go to Cuervo.com to shop tequila or visit a store near you. Cuervo, now's a good time. Trademarks owned by Beckless AB to CV 2024, Proximo, Jersey City, New Jersey. Please drink responsibly.